He's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I respect the courts. I respect Congress. I respect right here where we're standing. But what they've done is abuse. This is investigation number four of the same thing. Probably five. For some reason, maybe it was lack of confidence on his part that he really couldn't come match the greatness of the challenge that we have. Uh, didn't wasn't really uh, respectful of the reason of the Congress and the White House working together. Instead of walking in happily into a meeting, I walk into look at people that had just said that I was doing a cover-up. I don't do cover-ups. And now, Stacey Washington. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back to the program. <laughs> so we have a lot of content to get to, but I want to go straight to the phones. I love it when we have a lot of callers and we can share. Um, and so let's go first to... James in Indiana. Hey, James, thanks for calling the show, and thanks for holding over from the break. Hello, Stacey. This is James from Indiana, Army veteran. Thank you for your service. Make a com- Thank you. Uh, you too. Thank you. Um, I just want to make a comment on history that, uh, that as far as revolution, I think the Democrats are following that path where you know, just like the Russian Revolution, the French Revolution, where the, found, the, found, the founders of the revolution eventually get consumed by the young revolutionaries because they're not going far enough <laughs> extreme left. So I think Biden and Pelosi and so forth are potentially in danger of being consumed by their own revolution. Yeah. Uh, you The historical, uh, uh, you know, your referencing history on this is so appropriate. And, and, uh, James, one of the things that w- happens if you don't know your history, then you have no way of seeing the train when it's bearing down on you. And Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi are standing there checking themselves for a selfie while the train that they set into motion is it's literally within hundreds of yards of them. And they're not going to get out of the way. They're going to get run down by their own. That's what's so funny about this. It would be to me really appropriate if it was the Republicans who were coming in and riding in on a line and saying, look, you're advocating for socialism and Americans don't want this. And but it's not. It's their radical leftist agenda. that's actually coming back to bite them. The bed they've made, they're now going to have to sleep in it. Um, And it's going to be like the rough kind of sleep, like the sleep you don't get up from, because Nancy Pelosi is not going to survive what she said into motion 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when she started toying with these radical ideas. She's not going to be able to get away from this. Let's go to Kenny in Oklahoma. Hey, Kenny, thanks for calling the show today. Hello, Stacy. I praise God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for your wonderful programs. Like all evangelicals, true evangelicals, like all true Christians, I'm 100% against the Democratic Party because it's totally evil. But, Stacy, if I'm not mistaken, when President Trump was asked about the homosexual mayor, in Indiana running for president, President Trump praised that homosexual, and he praised that lifestyle. What mm-hmm. a sickening thing. What a slap into the face of the evangelicals that has supported President Trump. It really hurts. It simply tells us that in the future, 
and God forbid that we get a Democratic president, but it also tells me that in the future, whether two years, four years, six years, eight years from now, it's going to be up to us. We'll see no protection from a Republican president. And I know President Trump has done some things to promote religious freedom. We're thankful Mm -hmm. for it. But in the future, uh, we cannot look for support and protection from the Republican Party. Uh, President Trump is showing that he's not born again, or he would not have praised the the homosexual mayor from Indiana. Uh, We as individuals, our families, our churches, we had better pray fervently, Stacey, that we be found faithful. We better get more serious. Once again today, I heard once again about the uh, transgender perversion movement Mm -hmm. in California trying to get to the little children, Mm -hmm. four years old, five years old. I guess it's already happening, and they're pushing it more fervently. I tell you, I believe Stacy Dott will strike California with a major earthquake for indoctrinating these precious little children with that perversion. We as Christians, we'd better pray more fervently, Stacy. Uh, Christians had better be more careful about what, what they watch on television, the ungodly DVDs, the mm, ungodly I agree. Music. Absolutely. And, Kenny, thank you so much for calling the show today. I'm... So I just want to just for my own part, and Kenny is welcome to his um, his opinion. And, and but I don't I don't know what God's judgment is going to be on the state of California for their lawlessness. In fact, I I tend to believe, you know, obviously, I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know what God is going to do. Um, he's merciful and full of grace towards us and he doesn't give us what we deserve. But he also said, touch not my anointed and don't lead the children astray. So I, I'm. I will just say, I think some of what we're already seeing in California, I, I was just reading this morning, I think it was, in the wee hours of the morning, insomnia, you are, you know, insomnia XRS. I was reading about how Los Angeles has a persistent problem with this trash piles. They'll pile trash up as tall as a building and leave it there to rot and stink. And so they have huge rats, rats the size of cats, running around carrying typhoid. And the typhoid is actually transmitted to other people. You think to yourself, well, I just won't touch any rats. Well, the fleas that are on the rats are actually what are going going on to human beings and giving them typhoid. And typhoid symptoms, which can be like a severe, severe flu. Now, if you've ever had the flu, you th- I know what you're thinking. The flu is severe. Now, imagine a severe case of the flu and all of that, what that involves. So Los Angeles now has a new pile of trash that's, you know, as tall as a building. And the uh, sanitation department of Los Angeles says they're going to take care of it, but they haven't. And so they're now seeing typhoid cases and typhus cases. These are third world conditions and they're happening in California. You also have the wildfires, the devastation of that. And I know we have listeners in the Californian audience. We, we, you know, we have Christians who listen to and support this ministry who live in California. And I just I pray for your you know, safety and continued ability to maintain your businesses and your homes there. But California is the leading edge of what the Democrats want to do to the entire country. Garbage, feces in the streets, um, you know, children being taught about sex and having their innocence stolen from them. That is what's going on out there. But it's not just California. It's New York. Some of this stuff is happening in Florida and Texas. You see it happening in, uh, you know, Seattle. Um, so Washington State. Seattle's not a state, but C- Seattle, Washington and Oregon. You see these hardcore leftist type ideas being foisted upon people. And, and all I can say, I, I have to agree with him. We got to be praying and we have to be literally, it has to be a commitment that we're making for praying for these situations and then activating after you've prayed, activating 
and saying, now what do I do? And, and I would be remiss not to address the initial comment that he made in his call about President Trump's comments about Buddy Jeej or whatever his last name is. Because um, I refuse to call him Mayor Pete and kind of val- give validity to this idea that he's a harmless individual. He is the very iteration of all of the things that people, you know, like myself, the people who speak into the national discourse have been saying what Democrats want is to completely invalidate the Christian experience in this country. And a, a same sex married president would do that. If you think Bill Clinton was damaging to marriage and faith and religion and the morals of this country, imagine what a same sex marriage proponent who's married to a man, quote unquote, um, would do to all of those things in this country. We're, we're talking about the transgendered men beating our girls in sports and not having a safe place to go to the restroom in public as a woman or, you know, with children. Imagine what comes next after that. So, uh, you know. We don't want the judgment. We've seen what judgment looks like in the Bible. We don't want that. So um, call lines are still open for you. 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. Hey, Warren, thanks for calling the show today. Hello, Stacey. So Hi. I'm a uh, military I'm a military brat. Um, I was born in Germany. I grew up in the country of Turkey. Um, and then I... I actually joined the military myself, the U.S. Navy, and spent four tours over in Europe. Now, when mm. I go over and visit in other countries, uh, like when I was in Turkey, um, I brought it upon, my, upon myself to actually learn the language, learn the culture, learn everything about that area. And believe it or not, there's some beautiful uh, Christian history there uh, in Turkey, especially where I grew up at Izmir, um, like the amputee of Ephesus. But... You know, when the people come here, and I see that they've been here many, many years, um, they don't learn our language. Um, they, like you were saying earlier, um, the point that I was really trying to make was they don't, they're not trying to become an American. I think mm-hmm. that um, an immigration process to bring them here to the United States, and, and I love all people, don't get me wrong, um, uh, but like the Marines said earlier, I'm trying to bring a person from the Philippines to here, you know, mm-hmm. and it's and it's costing me, you know, a bunch of money to bring this, this young lady and her, her little child here to the United States. And yet these immigrants are just crossing the borders. They have no intention of becoming an American. They have no intention of, of you know, of assimilating with us. And I, I guess that's what my biggest issue is. If they were trying to be here and trying to um, add to our society and to, um, to bring something constructive, Man, I'm all for it, you know, but just do it, do it go about it legally instead of this, this illegal process. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I thank you for your service, Warren, and um, you know, blessings on your process for bringing uh, your, you know, the bringing your immigration uh, goals to a, a conclusion. Hopefully, it will be expeditious and and of minimal cost. I know that's you know the. Even saying that, I know that how hard this is for you. But thank you for calling the show and uh, for what you've done for our country. I'm, I just think it's it's heartbreaking to hear people like Warren and others who've called to the show today who are trying to do things right lawfully and experiencing hardships while others. And I know it's not easy to come up to make the fourteen hundred mile trek to go through Mexico and come to America. But if it's that hard, how is it that we now have one percent of the population of Guatemala now within the borders of the United States? 
of their population is now here in America. I just, I don't get it. I don't get what we're watching. I don't get what we're seeing. I don't get this. This does not make sense to me. Um, Also, I forgot to mention, we are going to have Andrew Langer, who's the president of the Institute for Liberty. He's going to be with us next segment. We have time for one more call. Tommy in Ohio. Hey, Tommy, thanks for holding on. All right. Thank you, Stacey. Um, I just wanted to ask a couple questions about truth. You know, uh, um, aren't the laws that the uh, government make are supposed to be true about all about truth? How can they make a law that is a total lie? We know that by fact that it's a total lie that you cannot change from a man to a woman or vice versa. And how how does the media get by with lying to the public every day on that television? How, are the, how is the public supposed to know the truth if the media is telling them a bunch of lies all day long? Oh my God, I'm, I'm being upset about this all day. I thought I'd give you a buzz. Oh, thanks, Tommy. I, I appreciate your call. And so I think it's one of those things where we've seen this kind of corruption at the company level. We've seen it at local level in our governments. You know, I'm, I'm broadcasting from Missouri where we had our governor step down because of things that he, you know, extramarital affair and some weird, like, he was texting from this phone and it wasn't a, you know, it was a taxpayer funded phone or something like that and doing fundraising business from it. And so we see corruption at all levels and what we're seeing on the floor of the house, you know, what you're describing about this, it's, it's like a fixation. Have you ever met someone who was obsessed with something to the point where they're almost coherent, where you can't discuss the weather or what you had for lunch or any other topic? They're obsessed with the subject and they can only talk about that subject. And that is where the Democrats are with, um, with this transgender thing. You would think transgenders were like 80% of the population and they were being oppressed and beaten in the streets. But the fact is they're what? I think it's like 1.8%. And these people, even if they are 1.8%, even if there's a million of them or 2 million or 3 million of them, it doesn't mean we should allow them to dictate social policy just because they've got a mental illness and they refuse to take normal steps to deal with it. That is... That's the problem that we're experiencing. And so I want to encourage people, if you're, if you, so this is totally, I hear the music. That, I don't have a good answer for it other than depraved, wicked, you know, human beings in need of a savior at every level. If you're watching the show on live stream, please share the show. If you are listening on one of our terrestrial radio stations, please tell someone else to tune in the way that you tune in, whether it's on a radio station, uh, the live stream or the app the American Family app, the Urban Family app. Share us. We appreciate you. Be right back. The Ministry of Preborn meets abortion-minded women right where they are. When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry. And it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. This mom chose life for her baby. She's been such a joy. Her name even means rebirth and sort of being raised up from the ashes. Uh, I now see my daughter and I cannot imagine my life without my happy, lovely, joyful, smart baby. And I'm so grateful. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Sometime in the near future, America will go over the entitlement cliff. That is the argument of Dr. Merrill Matthews, co-author of the book On the Edge, America Faces the Entitlement Cliff. He was on the Point of View radio talk show recently to discuss the problem and possible solutions. The first part of his book explains why entitlement programs fail. To put it simply, they are not actuarially sound. But the problem is even greater than that. He also shows how the cost of entitlement programs always exceeds projections. He details the expansion of Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. The second section projects how America will fall off the entitlement cliff. Not only does he provide projections for Social Security, but also for the impending pension crisis, the welfare debacle, and the health care debacle. This is true of both private sector pensions as well as for public sector pensions. He also includes sections on stepping back from the cliff. He deals, for example, with the fact that we have different types of safety nets in society that result in different outcomes. We do have examples, in other countries, of how to construct a sustainable safety net. And I wish some members of Congress would read the sections on principles of a sustainable safety net and embracing actuarial principles. There are solutions to the financial challenges we face with entitlements, but we also need to elect a Congress. Politicians who actually want to solve some of the problems created decades ago with these government programs. So far, most members of Congress, unfortunately, want to ignore the fact that sometime in the future we may go over the entitlement cliff. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Antisemitism, go to viewpoints.info slash antisemitism. Viewpoints.info slash antisemitism. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome back to the program. Check us out at AFR.net and UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Uh, right now, well, we're working on getting our guests together, but I did promise you this penny plan by Rand Paul. So I'd love to get to that audio right now. It's number two. He's describing our debt problem first before he sets up the plan. We are spending money and borrowing it at a million, over a million dollars every minute. How much does that mean to every American family? Over $170,000 per American family is owed on this national debt. What's a total of $22 trillion. In fact, interest on the debt now is over $200 billion. What does that mean? It means it crowds out all other spending. So anything else the government could be spending on, it's limited because of all the interest that we're spending it on. Whose fault is it? Oh, I don't know. Let's say both parties, both the Republicans and the Democrats. What do we do about it? I'd say let's try looking at spending. That's why we're going to look next at my plan to balance the budget, the penny plan. So he has all these pennies spread out in front of him. And I put this up on the Facebook page if you want to check it out. Um, it's a video and it's not long and it's very informative as most of his offerings are. And so Rand Paul is basically he's he's giving the opportunity for the government to be um, responsible and to repair the situation that we're in by just making a tiny change. So we all know how hard it is to, they, they always compare the, the federal budget to the Titanic or a huge cruise liner. 
it's hard to make a fast adjustment in the water. You have to see what's going on way in advance so you can begin to turn and get those rudders and turn that big ship, you know, quickly. And big budgets are not maneuverable, easily maneuverable from one extreme to another. He's not suggesting an extreme shift. He's suggesting actually the opposite, just 1% change. But I'm going to let him describe it because it's so good. Listen carefully to what he's proposing. It's number three. So how would we fix it? What if Republicans woke up one day, Democrats woke up, and we actually had some principles and people said, we're going to actually cut spending. Would you have to cut half of the budget? Would you have to get rid of all of the spending? No, you know what you could do? We've talked about it for years. If you got rid of 1%, you got rid of this little stack of pennies, which represents 1% of the budget, for years that would have actually balanced the budget. But guess what? Every year it gets a little bit harder because nobody ever does anything around here. Nobody ever cuts any spending. Neither party's any good at this. So now what does it take to balance the budget? Still only two stacks. So what would that mean? Government would still spend 98% of what they spent last year. If you talk to most people in government, they think there's at least that much waste in government. So you would leave all of this remaining spending, 98% of spending would still go on. You cut 2% and the budget actually will balance in less than five years. We have to have the courage to do it. We have to have the principle to do it. And frankly, neither party has it. So call your representatives, call your senators, call your congressmen, call the president. Tell them we ought to balance the budget and balance the budget now. All right. I agree with him that we should call and um, ask our senators to adopt this plan because it is so easy to get done. This is one of those ones where you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't even have to understand budgets completely to the level that Rand Paul does. All you have to do is be willing to admit that borrowing a trillion dollars a year above what we bring in when we bring in a record amount of taxes every single year, that that is wrong and that it is a um, it's it's a prescription for destruction of our actual of our society, of our government, of our of our country. He's right. But, you know, I agree with him a lot. Like he's he's a kind of brilliant guy. Um, So right now, it's my pleasure to welcome my friend Andrew Langer uh, to the program. Andrew is the president of the Institute for Liberty. He's a contributor to the American Spectator and townhall.com. All around fun guy, too. We had a dinner when we were, it was like an industry dinner that we attended when I was at CPAC this year. So it was great to get to chat with him and, and you know, catch up. Andrew, thanks for coming on today. I, I have been so excited to do your show. I just, I was, I was, when, I, when it got booked, I, was, I just got this warm, fuzzy feeling. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> well, you've got to come on more often. I don't know why you only, you basically are rationing yourself out like once every, I don't know how many years. You can come on. No. Like, you can totally join us. Whenever you want me on, I am always happy to come on. We will get you back on shortly. That, how about that? We'll, we'll, we'll make Great. it a point to do that. Um, okay, well, let's, <laughs> let's talk about this Trump pardon. Oregon ranchers have a lawsuit. Tell us what's going on here. Well, listen, I mean, we're, we're tying together a bunch of different things here. And then the idea being that property rights, even in the Trump era, are still very much under siege, whether it's land property rights or, uh, or uh, intellectual property rights. And in this case, we've got a, a couple of things that are going on. Uh, folks remember the whole, uh, you know, Bundy Ranch and the Malheur Wildlife Refuge and, and a bunch of ranchers out in uh, Oregon were essentially – uh, not being able to uh, do their livelihood under the Obama uh, administration. There was a whole big crew of a bunch of them went arrested, a bunch of them got imprisoned. 
Uh, Trump pardoned a bunch of them, and now uh, 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 two of, of the ranchers, the Hammonds, uh, they are trying to get their lives back together. They're trying to start ranching again. And the environmentalists who can't let uh, sleeping dogs lie have turned around and uh, and challenged the permitting process under which uh, these guys got their permits. It, it is it is a situation in which you know we're at a point in America where uh, the economy is booming, and yet some people just can't be well enough alone. Uh, they want to make sure that there are folks who uh, who uh, can't uh, take part of the American dream. So what is it with like every story nowadays has to do with somebody saying you can't play with us, you can't participate, some drama like that? Like what is it's like an epidemic we're experiencing. Well, you know, it's it's funny, and I don't want to do it, give any spoilers uh, uh, for the Game of Thrones uh, Game of Thrones finale for those who haven't seen it. But there is some <laughs> really interesting verbiage uh, in there about uh, sort of folks who want to remake the world in their image and will not let anybody stay in their way. It's essentially this old Marxist idea that if you stand in the way of their vision of progress, you will become grist for the mill. And, and if we know anything about the last, really, century of history in this regard, it's that a lot of people get ground under uh, for the sake of uh, the utopian visions of the progressive left. And, and as my father is fond of saying, Stacey, there are many roads to utopia, all, however, must traverse the surface of the earth. Well, and there are many roads, perhaps, to utopia, but utopia is not a destination that we've ever seen any human being in the history of human beings ever attain. It may be a destination, but it's one in which perhaps there are unicorns and, you know, maybe there are flying oh. pigs. And in that universe or wherever it's located, I am my goal weight and I never, ever eat dessert. And I also am never tempted by foods and... Um, I mean, there's all kinds of magical stuff going on there. I have a thousand pairs of cowgirl boots and none of, and, and my husband doesn't have a problem with it. I mean, the grass is always mowed there. This is a place I wish I could get to, but it simply does not exist. There is no utopia for us to get to. And, and that's exactly it. And anybody who is trying to sell you on this vision is really talking about trying to sell you on uh, their maintenance of power. And, and that's part of the reason why, just to sort of uh, bring it back to, to what we've been talking about, which is this issue of property rights. That's why we're, we're tying these issues of land property rights in with intellectual property rights, because there's a situation that's happening in Oregon and in Arizona and in North Carolina and in a handful of other states where you've got certain parties, in this case it's uh, state uh, auto dealers, uh, who are trying to use their power in a very cronyist way uh, to change uh, laws regarding private property rights, regarding uh, contracting, Imagine this, Stacey. Imagine that you are a landowner, and you have somebody who leases a portion of your land, and you have very specific uh, codicils in that contract for how that, that land gets leased. And the person who, uh, comes to you and says, well, we want to do X, Y, and Z more, and you say no. You say that's not what we've agreed to in the contract. And this person then goes to the legislature and tries to uh, essentially rewrite the contract uh, through legislation. This is what is happening uh, with the auto dealers and and some uh, 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 computer system owners in in these states, and we that so you know we're, we're we tie it all together. Property rights are property rights are property rights, whether they're property rights in land or they're property rights in uh, in intellectual uh, ideas. Wow. So, okay. So part of this story that you're sharing here um, is about these ranchers convicted under the anti-terrorism law. And they had to serve five years in prison. 
And this is because they set fires. They burned 140 acres of federal land. But this was after they had grazing permits that they lost. And so they, you know, they were upset, obviously, over the federal government basically pulling their business out from under them. And there's no justification for setting fires, but they also had to pay a $400,000 fine. And so what you're talking about is something that we see a lot of people like uh, Stossel talks about this a lot on his program and others highlight the government corruption and this idea that government workers have that they can do anything to you. And even if you fight back in a way that is illegal, you get punished, but they never do. They're, and they're, they feel a lot of government control. I even saw a piece this morning, I didn't get a chance to read it yet, about um, government regulations that are being written. These are rules and regulations that are written by bureaucrats who are never elected and they never have any accountability. And there are so many of them that they've taken over huge sectors of the public space where you're in a, a field of regulations that you can't get out of depending on what industry you work in or what you're trying to do that you have to go through the federal government to accomplish. Oh, no. Okay, we lost him. Um, wow, that was a pretty good question I just asked. Oh, no. Well, so the piece that he wrote, or let me make sure that I'm not saying that he wrote it and he didn't. Um, oh, this is by Tim Pierce, who is an energy reporter for the Daily Caller Foundation, the Daily Caller News Foundation, is talking about President Trump issuing this full pardon for the Hammonds in July of 2018, springing them from a prison sentence that many saw as unfair for the crime. And what Andrew was talking about is this, this, this whole idea that we're going to have, um, you know, property, that our property rights are being infringed upon, that, that so much of what we're, what's happening um, with consumer privacy and prop, prop, privacy rights and property rights is tied to the government. Um, oh, we have Andrew back. Hey, Andrew. <laughs> so it's really interesting. When I was working on uh, small business lobbying for the National Federation of Independent Business, uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about this issue of bureaucrats, and, and it's a huge problem, right? Uh, unelected people with, with a massive amount of power, and this idea of, uh, you know, Henry Silverglade wrote a book called Three Felonies a Day, which essentially proposes the idea that the average American commits three very serious crimes every day. I had this idea, in terms of getting bureaucrats to better understand this, um, and it was an idea that had some, it gained a little bit of traction during the Bush years, that, you know, is part and parcel of any bureaucrat sort of annual training regimen is that they have to spend some time walking in the footsteps of your average small business owner. And the idea was, because of most of these bureaucrats, they have no idea about the breadth of federal regulations. They know about their, their own little parochial universe, um, very small cross-section of what's going on. And the idea was, you know, it, take, take an hour of uh, every year, um, give them some descriptive information about a small business, have them uh, uh, pretend to be that, a small business owner in that particular industry, and they have an hour to figure out all of the regulations that that business needs to comply with. And, and it was my idea, it was my thesis, that if they it just spend some time really understanding just how confusing, uh, how, how labyrinthine, how enormous the regulatory state was for these small business owners, it might give them a better perspective in terms of their governance. So are they doing that? Or what? Well, no, no, no. Of course not. No, this is, listen, these, these great, I, I'm going to say it's a great idea because it's mine. You know, these great ideas, you know, they always, especially the simplest ones, they never, they never really go anywhere. I, I, had, I had gotten some traction with the Bush folks, but it really, it really didn't pick up. And, and then, of course, 
uh, Barack Obama was president, and they doubled the size of the regulatory state in eight years. So this is this is where these things go. But on the other hand, you've now you've now reminded me that maybe this is a suggestion that I ought to raise to our our good friends and colleagues uh, over at uh, the White House. Well. I think that while you're raising this with the friends at the White House, make sure and also share with them my cell phone number, which you have, because um, I have some ideas, too. And I actually think I think your idea would work. I think it's a fantastic idea. I have some ideas that I think would be just so beneficial and integral to the president. Um, but getting in touch with people over there is kind of hard. So if you have an in, get in there and then don't forget to drag the rest of us along. <laughs> I, will, I will absolutely do that. Well, thank you for coming on today and for kind of outlining this issue. I have the story that you sent over. Uh, I just tweeted it out. If anybody wants to read it, it's up at the Daily Signal, I believe. Um, and this consumer privacy and property rights issue is one that we should be concerned about. And I really appreciate you tackling it and continuing to keep it at the fore, Andrew. Anytime. And I look forward to coming back at some point. All right. Perfect. Um, so the... That was Andrew Langer, president of the Institute for Liberty and a contributor to the American Spectator and townhall.com. And I love it when we have people, um, you know, doing doing just good policy type work and keeping the the rights of Americans at the forefront for the criticism that we've had to level at the president for his comments about Buttigieg's marriage. And I think some of what we see out of the president on that issue comes from his focus is not it's religious liberty, but it's not tackling the same-sex marriage issue because of Obergefell. Um, I think he would much rather change the composition of the Supreme Court and do that than tackle the issue. Um, and also because his daughter and son-in-law, Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner, they are very pro-same-sex marriage. And so it's like a family thing where part of the family is for one thing and part of it's for another. And so to avoid unnecessary fights, and because I really, I don't believe the president cares very much about what, happens with same-sex marriage because it has been affirmed by the Supreme Court. I don't think he's necessarily a huge fan of it, but he has been in this kind of middle zone for years, ever since he was on The Apprentice. Back then, things were much less PC, and he's made comments back when he was on TV back then, but I can't excuse his giving validation to Buttigieg's, you know, uh, relationship, but I do, I tend to see it from the perspective of, you know, I never had a president who was in office that I agreed with on every single thing. And so on that particular issue, I wish the president was more in line with the way I view it and the way that I speak about it. But you take the good with the bad. And, you know, so I don't condone that. But I do think it's important to note that from our last interview there with Andrew, the president has done a huge service to us by reducing the regulatory state that Obama grew. So good and bad. We'll be right back. What or who motivates you to live and do life? Whether it's the motivation of your business or being healthy and fit, many times the why behind many individuals' determination is because of their children or grandchildren or even a spouse. Their primary why is because of a fallible being instead of Jesus. I know you're probably saying victory. I'm sure Jesus is a reason too, but Jesus should be the only reason for our whys in life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 37, if you love your father, mother, son, or daughter more than him, then you are not worthy of being his. But if we give up our life for him, we will find life in him. It is only because of him we can do the things he has enabled us to do. 
Have your why be because of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross for you. With a heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Victory Hollyfield. Connect with us more at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Hi, friends. There's a new show in town on Urban Family Talk nightly, 7 p.m. Central. Join me, C.L. Bryant, as we build the bridge to conversation throughout our great nation, the greatest nation on the face of the planet, the greatest success story the world has ever known. Nightly, the C.L. Bryant Show over Urban Family Talk, 7 p.m. It's time for truth to be unveiled. It's time to get back to God with Pastor Dexter Sanders on Urban Family Talk. Awakening and empowering everyday people to impact the world. Discovering who we are and whose we are by the Word of God. Join Pastor D each weekday at 4 o'clock Central on Urban Family Talk. And let's get America's talking to Fox News. Seattle is home to corporate giants like Amazon, Microsoft, and Starbucks, but it's also home to the homeless in large numbers. The people of Seattle react. We definitely need to do a lot more to help people out of drugs, booze, whatever chemical things are causing them problems. It's tough, but we have to summon the empathy. I've seen heroin deals go down in my backyard. I've seen them heating up the heroin in a spoon in my backyard. We have rising property crime rates. We have the rising number of people on the streets, rising opioid addictions. And the city of Seattle and the political leadership, the problems are getting worse and people are really starting to get fed up. There's a big homeless problem and it's only gotten worse. There is virtually no affordable housing. Amazon is a huge part. They've taken over parts of the city. And if they're going to do that, then they should be helping people that live in the city, not just their employees. America's talking to Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The sponsor of the bill in this very religious and conservative state, a Democrat. Our view is that the correct moral response to sexual assault is not to execute the unborn baby who's done no wrong. Doesn't this run the risk of traumatizing a rape victim twice? You know, we have got an obligation, I believe, to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. The governor, another Democrat, says he's ready to sign it. Tonight in Louisiana, the Democratic governor stands ready to buck his party and sign a bill that would make abortions illegal once a heartbeat is detected, before many women know they're pregnant. Hey, welcome back to the program. And that was an ABC-NBC mashup of coverage of this Louisiana Democrat governor is helping to advance this pro-life law that makes abortion much more difficult to get in in the state of uh, Louisiana. And they're really upset about it because he's a Democrat. And, you know, you can't have any differing opinions as a Democrat. Now, you know, fully guilty over here of saying that Lisa Murkowski and uh, Susan Collins don't represent Republican ideals because they're constantly voting for abortion. And so the, the news media, which is supposed to be the fourth estate, and they're supposed to be standing up and, and presenting the news with an unbiased, unfiltered, straight news type of perspective. They can't help but allow their little bloody fangs to come hanging out when they're talking about abortion. They're so for it, they can't even see that their news reporting should be neutral. 
They should simply report that this Democrat, who happens to be the governor of Louisiana, supports this legislation because he's a man of faith and whatever other reasoning he's given. It shouldn't be that, well, our opinion is that he's wrong about it. Who cares what your opinion is, news person? If you if you want to share your opinion, get out of hard news and get into opinion presentations. Do a radio show, a podcast, get on a program that is opinion. We all know the difference. We know the difference between the news programs and the opinion programs. Pick one. I think it's absolutely crazy that this is the situation that we find ourselves in. That it's just over and over and over again that they just keep on saying, well, if you're a Democrat, you can't be pro-life. Well, if you're a Republican, you can't be pro-abortion. But look how much they love when Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins toe the line for them. One of the things that they were so happy with, they, they hated Susan Collins' speech, but she made sure to reiterate in her speech that she was going to support Ju- uh, Judge Kavanaugh going to the Supreme Court. She said she was voting for him because he told her that he respected precedent. And that, in her mind, means he would never vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. So she was fine with voting for him. Again, her credentials as a Republican hinge on the fact that She's a female with female anatomy. And for her, that means she has to support abortion. But this guy, who's much closer to his constituents than a senator, and I'm talking about their behavior, not their actual positioning under the Constitution. I mean, behaviorally speaking, a governor is much closer to their to his constituents simply because you can actually get to your governor. The senators can just sequester themselves in Washington, D.C., and you can call and burn down the phone lines and email and write paper letters. You can go to their home office in the district in your state and still get ignored. But the governor eventually has to kind of pony up and answer because you can actually visit him in his office right in your state. It's not as hard to get to him. So, you know, and they have to pay attention to more of their constituents because there's only one governor. There are two senators for every state. So, you know, it just again, um, ah, you know, I just I'm I'm so it, it just is so upsetting that they can't hide their disdain for the pro-life position um, and they're morally wrong. So it would be different if there was no moral uh, center to abortion. It was just kind of a matter of preference if it wasn't about ending a life, you know, and then. You could hold either position without being morally wrong. And then they, you know, but it's not that one side is morally wrong on the wrong side of not just history, but on the wrong side of what the Bible tells us is permissible. What is what what God condones, what he opposes. And still we see these people continually reaching out, working as hard as they can to promote the unbiblical, ungodly, immoral position. I'm done. I'm I'm done with that. Okay. So I talked about, uh, actually, the title of today's show is, uh, it is actually blocking online data collection. And this is, speaking of senators, from the junior senator from the great state of Missouri, Josh Hawley. Senator Hawley has proposed a bill that would give users the ability to block data collection with one click. Now, this to me is where he's kind of delineating himself as being someone who's on the side of privacy and freedom for Americans. And he's saying the tech issue, that's that's going to be a signature issue for me. So he has this new bill and 
It's specifically geared towards blocking Internet companies like Google and Facebook from collecting any data beyond what is necessary for the specific online service that's offered. He has actually focused a considerable amount of attention on data collection in his first months as a lawmaker, and he wants to give individuals the ability to join something he calls a do not track list with a single click in their browser settings. He says companies have gotten incredibly rich off of collecting data from individuals who have not consented. And I I totally agree with that. It never ceases to amaze me. The other day we were talking about something. I don't remember what room we were in. I just remember having the conversation about buying this item. After we had the conversation, I had not searched for it online. I hadn't, uh, you know, there, in other words, this wasn't something that I'd already been looking for. It was a conversation. It began to be advertised on me, to me on uh, websites that I visited after I had the conversation. Now, I no longer have the Facebook app on my phone, but I do have Instagram. And you never, so you, it, unless you're the kind of person who every time you close out your uh, your Instagram, like if you close out of it that you automatically click, like double click and swipe it off, then it's always running in the background. And they keep saying they can't listen to your conversations. But this keeps happening where we have, we talk about something and then all of a sudden I'm getting ads for it. So the quote from Senator Hawley is big tech companies collect incredible amounts of deeply personal private data from people without giving them the option to meaningfully consent. They have gotten incredibly rich by employing creepy surveillance tactics on their users, but too often the extent of this data extraction is only known after a tech company irresponsibly handles the data and leaks it all over the internet. The American people didn't sign up for this, so I'm introducing this legislation to finally give them control over their information online. Now, there are options for uh, opting out of tracking currently, but Holly says they've proven inadequate. So Google has actually admitted to Senator Hawley that they track a user's location throughout the day, even if the location history is off. Facebook has admitted that they collect data on people that don't even have an account. So the people in your life who don't have Facebook accounts, they track their data too. They use you to do it. So the list is comparable to the do not call list, which we have here in Missouri. And it's really, it's fantastic to have it. It blocks companies from making marketing calls to members of the do not call list. This list would prohibit companies from using data to profile anyone who activates the do not track option, and it would impose strict penalties on any company caught violating the terms of the legislation. The bill would also force these tech giants to disclose the option to users and ban them from discriminating against users who opt not to be tracked. Now, This legislative proposal was originally spurned by the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing in March. Hawley was there sparring with Google representatives over the company's tracking of individuals. He says, and this was back in March, the quote from him, you don't allow consumers to stop your tracking of them. You tell them that you do. You would anticipate that they do. A consumer would have a reasonable expectation based on what you've told them that they're not being tracked. But in fact, you're still tracking them. Holly went on to say to these, you know, Google representatives uh, and Facebook representatives, Americans haven't signed up for this. They think that the products you're offering them are free, but they're not free. They think that they can opt out of the tracking that you're performing, but they can't. So I'm really grateful that he's doing this because I don't think some of the some of the older legislators on Capitol Hill 
they're not really tech savvy, which is fine. They're they're strong on other issues. And, and with legislators, we don't need everyone to be strong on every issue. We need enough of them to be strong on issues that they can present legislation and, and effectively explain it. And then the others can come on board. And I think that's what this kind of represents. And I'm glad to see it. I want to see more of this type of meaningful, actual, like this is something that actually impacts multiple tens of millions of, of Americans. And it would bring these social media giants back down to a scale that is representative to where they should be. They shouldn't be all powerful, overarching giants within our society that are outside of the norms and rules that the rest of us have to operate by. If they say, click here to opt out of tracking or decide, you know, type here that you're going to, um, you know, not not have your location data tracked, you know, click this thing and close it or what have you. Go to your settings, go to options, go to this, the, the, click no, you know, end location tracking, you should be able to do that and then know, okay, I've ended it. And if I want to turn it back on, I go back in and I turn it back on. It shouldn't be that you, they give you that and it's basically a ruse. It's just meant for you to think you've turned it off when in reality you have not. You've done nothing but an, a little exercise in futility to make you feel good. It's to make you feel good, not to actually do um, anything. So... Yeah, I, I, I totally disagree with that. So I did mention also, because we are getting close to the end of the show, but I want to cover this. The charter schools empowering inner city children to escape failing public schools. So this one, uh, this this flies in the face of what the Democrats say, that public money shouldn't go to charter schools. And uh, one of the Democratic presidential candidates has already said, uh, was it Kamala Harris? Said she wants to end charter schools. I'll double check and make sure that's the quote from her. But one of them said they want to, basically outlaw public funding of, cha of charter schools, for-profit charter schools. So Butler College Prep is a top-rated charter school on the south side of Chicago, and the parents love it. The families who are there love this school. The founder and principal, his name is Christopher Goins. He built his school community by intentionally hiring teachers from historically black colleges so students would have relatable role models. Now, you know, obviously the south side of Chicago is mostly black. So he says, if the students don't love the school and enjoy learning, then they're not going to learn. And it goes back to what research, research states, noting the importance of a tailor-made education. So he tries to create within the school this family-like environment, a place that understands who we are and appreciates who we are. And the kids are responding to that, and uh, they're, they're performing. So he's doing this to release kids who are trapped in zip codes that have horrible schools. Um, and the parents are compelled because they live in, you know, on this street and this zip code to send their kids to a government school that's really not performing or it's unaccredited or what have you. So he says these charter schools have safety, innovative curricula, unique missions, and an opportunity to impact specific communities and tailor their programs to those communities. And Data shows that charter schools impact student achievement most among low-income and academically struggling students. So this is a model that works in rural areas. It can work in suburban areas that are not, you know, affluent. It can also work in inner city environments. So the question for me is, is always, um, you know, how can we get students the education that fits their needs that in doing so will get them results proficient or advanced for every subject at every grade level, ensuring that these kids can escape poverty. 
because a good K through 12 education that prepares you for your next step, whether it's college, vocational training, uh, technical school, the military, or get going into your first job and apprenticing, that kind of an education means you don't have to worry about these kids getting drawn into gang environments or uh, drug abuse or teen pregnancy. These kids are much more ready for the future when they come out of an educational institution that has prepared them. Now, obviously, as I said yesterday, that three-legged stool, the parents, you have to be in that mix. But if you're stuck socioeconomically in in an area where the schools are failing, charter schools can be that solution. Instead of you moving out, the charter school moves in and provides that educational environment that you are looking for. That is That should be the goal every single time. These ideas that we should force housing and urban development to, uh, you know, make every suburban area also a low income area with Section 8 housing or ram a whole bunch of apartment buildings into single family neighborhoods. That's idiocy. And it doesn't have results. We've tried busing. We've tried all of these social experimentation. It doesn't work. And I'm speaking as someone, we live in the suburbs in an area that has no apartments. There are no apartments in the town that I live in. Trying to force some apartments in here will only cause not just quote unquote white flight, but the blacks who live here too will just up and move because people want to live where they want to live. So instead of trying to destroy a successful model like charter schools, we should be supporting them and spreading them wherever the need exists. Again, no utopias. We'll never find them. But solutions can create and improve better environments for the social ills that we're experiencing. Yeah. Okay, that's the show for today. I'm Stacey Washington, and this is American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Mm-hmm.